Friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. And happy Friday. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the July 15th edition of the sunny side of sports. The field is now set for the semifinals at the Africa Women's Cup of Nations football tournament in Morocco. Joining us now with that story and lots more African sports news is Samson O'Malle. Sporty Friday greetings, Samson. Sporty Friday greetings to you too, Sunny. We'll begin the wrap of Africa sport action for this week in Morocco, where the four semi-finalists for the 2022 Women African Cup of Nations have emerged. Nigeria kept up their sequence of having qualified for every Women's World Cup as they edged Cameroon 1-0 at the Women's African Cup of Nations in Casablanca on Thursday. Rashidat Ajibade's 56-minute header handed the Super Falcons a narrow victory in their quarterfinals at the tournament. Rashidat was later named as a woman of the match. First, uh, I will give glory to God Almighty for the victory and uh, for taking us uh, into the semi, uh, semi-finals and also out of our goal to win the tournament and also to qualify for the World Cup. And uh, it's one down, so it's... Uh, we're going for the next one. Uh, if we want to win the tournament, we have to compete with every team. So we're ready. We're in for it. We know what uh, it takes. Uh, uh, it's a very tough tournament, so we will make sure we do our best to scale through the next uh, order. In Thursday's other game, Jermaine Sepulsimwe scored early to set Banyana Banyana of South Africa on their way to a second successive Women's World Cup as they edged Tunisia 1-0 in Rabat, but they made it hard for themselves with a wasteful display. Woman of the match, Sepulsimwe, said despite the victory, it was not their best performance. Great victory for the team. Uh, we secured a spot to the World Cup. Uh, which was one of our goals on this journey to to trying to win this cup. Um, I didn't think we played as well as we could have, um, but we take the win. Uh, we try and fix the things that we didn't do right and come back better next time. Uh, we just need to look at the things we did wrong. I think we didn't control the game as much as we wanted to. Um, I think we need to be better uh, in terms of you know keeping the pressure and taking the pressure on us. Um, but we'll go back and check what we did wrong and try to rectify it in practice and come back a better team. Jennifer Okoye is a sports journalist covering the Wafkan in Morocco. I asked her to rate the quality of football and the performance of players at the tournament so far after 22 matches. The Morocco team, uh, they seem to be very strong. They stand so firm. So from the look of things, uh, uh, Morocco and South Africa, South Africa, Morocco and South Africa, I would say, is the best team among these four that are actually going into the World Cup. I'm not saying the Super Falcons are not well or they are not good, but the Super Falcons are um, are actually dwelling mostly on their past glory. The top four finishers at this year's Wafkan, Zambia, Morocco, Nigeria and South Africa have all qualified for next year's Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. Staying with women's football, Africa's top women players have made the short list for the CAF Awards 2022 top prize ahead of next week's much-anticipated gala night in Rabat, Morocco. Former winners Asishat Oshola and Tembi Katlana are on the updated 10-player shortlist for the Confederation of Africa Football's CAF Women's Player of the Year Award for 2021-2022. The awards will be held on Thursday, the 21st of July, 2022. 
Away from women's football now, Taranga Lions of Senegal defender Kalidou Koulibaly has signed a contract with English Premiership side Chelsea. The Senegalese international is said to be the Blues' second signing of the summer. In athletics, Kenyan... Ethiopian and Nigerian athletes have encountered visa issues in the race against time to compete at the World Athletics Championships in Eugene, Oregon. World Athletics said it was working with the Oregon 2022 Organizing Committee and the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee to follow up on visa applications affecting some competitors, but said the majority have been successfully resolved. The World Championships begins on Friday and lasts until the 24th of July. Athletics report Reporter Deji Ogembo, who was in Mauritius for the just-concluded African Championships, told the sunny side of sports the potentials of African sprint stars to secure medals at the world champs. It will be entirely difficult for African sprint stars to um, get on the medal, but I think there are a lot of prospects, um, especially in the men's 100 meters, where usually it has been only Akane Simbini of South Africa reaching the finals of major championships, but with Ferdinand Mayala, who is now the African record holder in the 100 meters, as well as the African champion, uh, we can guarantee at least a podium finish um, in the men's 100 meters. The likes of Fivo, Filio um, of Nigeria, about the 200 meters, she's um, ranked number five in the world. Um, some of the best athletes, uh, she's been able to race well against them. She's run sub-22, so potentially there could be a medal um, in that regard. But I just see the Jamaicans and the Americans dominating. Um, in these sprints um, in that regard too. So um, it would be entirely difficult uh, to ensure or to see Afghans um, get on the podium in the sprint. DG also spoke specifically about the male and female athletes from the continent who may dazzle and pick up medals in Oregon. Uh, with regards to the male athletes, uh, that's, um, I expected to uh, catch attention of the world at the World Championships. Um, and much attention will be on the long-distance races um, where in the marathon, um, a couple of Kenyans and Ethiopians would certainly dominate. Um, Tambra Tola uh, goes in as one of the fastest um, entrants in the men's uh, marathon. But as Kenyans are Jeffrey Kambo, I was switching to the marathon for the first time in the major championships. I missed the Olympic Games due to a foot injury. I'll be looking to ensure that um, the uh, title returns back to Kenya. You go over to the women's 5,000 meter where there could potentially be an Ethiopian sweep uh, with um, uh, Letta Sebet uh, Gidei, uh, the women's 5,000 meter world record holder. Uh, she will certainly face festive competition from Stefan Hassan, the um, Ethiopian born Dutch woman, who is still yet to decide whether she's going to run over the 5,000 meter. So, in the middle distance, um, we've got um, some top athletes that will be looking to uh, get their name in the uh, books. Some um, youngster Emmanuel Wamoyi of Kenya is the world junior champion. We'll be potentially looking to replicate what David Richard did um, during his eight days over the men's tournament. So uh, you will certainly see some def- uh, some big medal prospects. They just spoke about Ferdinand Omanyala, Africa's fastest 100 meters runner from Kenya. We understand that he's due to arrive in time just to compete at the World Athletics Championships after overcoming visa holdups. Hi guys, I'm Ferdinand Omanyala, the fastest man in Africa, African 100 meter record holder. And now you're listening to Sunny's Side of Sports on The Voice of America. In basketball, the governing body for basketball on the continent, FIBA Africa, has confirmed Abidjan and Monastery as host cities for window four of the FIBA Basketball World Cup 2023 African qualifiers. Abidjan Cote d'Ivoire's largest city will host the first nine games of Group E, which will have teams from Cote d'Ivoire, 
Cape Verde, Angola, Nigeria, Uganda, and Guinea, while Tunisian coastal city of Monastro will be home to the first nine games of Group F. Teams from South Sudan, Egypt, host Tunisia, DR Congo, Senegal, and Cameroon. The games will take place from August 26th through to August 28th. And on to cycling. The much-anticipated 2022 Afghan Track Cycling Championships pedaled off on Thursday at the velodrome of the Moshud Abiola National Stadium in Abuja. A total of 150 cyclists from 11 countries are competing for honors in various disciplines in the Afghan Cycling Championship track as the four-day championships will unveil Africa's best cyclists in the Nigerian capital. Mohamed Azam is the president of the Africa Cycling Federation. Nigerian velodrome. Uh, one of the very big stones for development of uh, cycling in Africa. With the minister in the next few uh, days, how can we organize in Nigeria in this very beautiful velodrome? That's Mohamed Azam, the president of the Africa Cycling Federation. And thanks to Samson Omale for that extra spicy package of African sports news. I'm Sonny Young in Washington. And you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Follow the sunny side of sports on Facebook and Twitter. My Facebook address is facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny. And my Twitter handle is at VOA Sunny Sports. Also, please note, we've moved our programs to VOAAfrica.com. There you'll find your favorite VOA TV and radio shows, including the sunny side of sports and a whole lot more. Find us on VOAAfrica.com. This is the voice of America. Washington, D.C. More African women's football news. Uganda's crested cranes were eliminated after the group stage of the Africa Women's Cup of Nations tournament in Morocco. The Ugandan women lost to Senegal 2-0 and were beaten by host Morocco 3-1. And Uganda drew 2-all with Burkina Faso. Magume Davis Rakawinj asked Uganda's former coach and captain Majda Nantanda about the performance of the Crested Cranes in Morocco. Uh, yeah, it's so unfortunate when you're rated with a, a group like the Horse. But even us in 2000, we, are, we had South Africa in our group. But again, uh, I don't like, I wouldn't say like girls did not play. They, like these women played what they had to do. But I think all the errors we had were technical errors. And it's a very good experience for the Federation and all the technical team to learn from what they saw from Morocco, right from the team, organization, preparation, administratively, to come and correct. So because this is a promising team for these young girls, and they have the future because most of them have gone through school, now they know that they even have a league, so it's not something that is going to stop like what used to happen to us. So they should come up and use the experience they got from Morocco and then help these young women and all women who are playing football in Uganda to see that we can be there consistently because we can. But in terms of quality, in terms of uh, what you see the girls, you think they are talented enough uh, to represent Uganda and even in future competitions perform even better? If they are taught how to play. 
we need to teach them. The Federation has to educate the coaches who coach these girls right from the grassroots. Because football, like, when you look at our teams, they were clever doing it, they were talented, but they like that training, like someone being taught to coach how to move, how to position yourself. It's not about running everywhere. You need some the understanding of the game. So it's more of, tech, that's why I say tactical uh, errors, and it needs more of coaching education. We need to work more on the coaching education of women coaches in Uganda because if you don't develop that, of course you're not going to have players who are coached to come and perform at that high level. So that's what they lacked. But they are talented and they clever did it, but technically and tactically not planned. What do you think uh, women coaches or women officials would help much in promoting uh, women football in, 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 in Uganda and in Africa in general? Uh, it's just with experience because you can help with experience. But when it comes to men football, it doesn't matter whether a woman is teaching the players or is the coach or the man. But it's all about that person who understands the game better and even understands women better. Because women, we are emotional sometimes. So if he's not the head coach, at least the woman who even understands that and gone through that is better. But for me, I'm not the kind of saying it has to be coached by the woman, or, but I want it to be coached by that coach, but a top coach. The very best coach should be given to those women. And, and are you impressed with the way, uh, with the development of uh, football, women football in the country so far? That um, in the recent past, we have seen Uganda teams, the under teams, uh, perform regionally, uh, top, come on top, and uh, recently they won uh, Sikafa. Mm. Are you impressed so far with the development of uh, women football? Uh, I'm just impressed with everything how now people, t in, like Uganda at large, how now they have perceived and accepted girls to play sport, most especially football. So if parents agree their children to go and play sport, then all to play football and the parents who bring children, that is a very good development, okay? And now, like, all over Uganda now, unless when we used to play, we used to play with boys because we had no more, many girls to play with, but now we have girls' teams. So there's development on that, like, schools, the community, the parents, everyone has accepted that and they are doing their best to see that these girls play. Now, that is development on that. As a country, we are developing in that. I wouldn't put it on the federation. But again, if the federation get better structures and look at those girls who are from the community, schools, and see how they can give them the platform to play better, like good football, we will develop. And if we develop, I think we'll be better because we'll be the best because Uganda, naturally, we are talented. And, and finally, you've been a player. Yes. You've been a, a coach for yes. the national team and uh, you've done several other things. You've done charity. And now, and you, now you're currently a, a cuff instructor. Yes. How best would you want to be remembered in football? The legacy I want to leave behind is to see more women and girls, mentoring more women and girls who have played this game to become someone. I don't want like to be sinless capable. And again, people start thinking like then we are helped. We need. I want to see those women who have played football to be respected, to be given. Uh, positions administratively anywhere in football on merit not someone thinking I'm helping them to have this, no to put them on merit, so me it's all about mentoring, the legacy I want to leave behind is to mentor all those women who play football, in future to see that we are, we are there, they are talked about and we can feel that we are accepted as women playing football not just think that you are helping me to put me on the national team or give me an administrative post just because I'm a woman Thanks very much for talking to me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. That's Majda Nantanda, the former coach and captain of Uganda's national women's football team.
the Crested Cranes. And she spoke with Magume Davis Rakawinj in Kampala, Uganda. Hello, listeners. My name is Majida Nantanda. I'm a former Crested Crane captain, former national team Crested Crane coach, and now a calf coaches instructor. Listen to Sunny Side of Sports on Voice of America. Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station, Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. Thanks, Heather. That's my VOA colleague, Heather Maxwell. And as the Voice of America celebrates its 80th year of broadcasting, this Music Time in Africa historical note, it's the longest-running English-language program on the Voice of America. That's right. Music Time in Africa was founded by the late, great Leo the Music Man Sarkeesian in 1965. And Heather Maxwell has certainly done a wonderful job as host in recent years. I'm VOA Sonny Young in Washington, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. In African men's football, athletic Bilbao striker Inyaki Williams, who was born in Bilbao, Spain, to Ghanaian parents, recently announced he would represent Ghana's national football team, the Black Stars, at the international level. That means the Black Stars could have Inyaki's goal-scoring prowess for this year's World Cup in Qatar. Joining us now from Ghana's capital, Accra, with more details, is Yawafusu Larbi. Sporty greetings, Yao. Sporty greetings, Sunny. In March 2022, Ghana beat Nigeria to qualify for the World Cup at the Mushuda Biola Stadium in Abuja. Since then, the country has been linked to one new footballer, supposedly of Ghanaian descent, after the other. Top of the list is Chelsea youngster, Column Hudson Odoi. This month, the president of the Ghana Football Association, Mr. Kurtu Kriku, welcomed six new players who changed their nationality to represent the country. Brighton's Tariq Lamte, Patrick Pfeiffer, and Ransford Yeboa of Germany, and Atletico Bilbao's Inyaki Williams. Williams had been on Ghana's radar for a very long time, but he had never quite made a decision yet. He says he feels Ghanaian now more than ever. It's beautiful uh, playing with Spain and uh, I have uh, all my all my life in Spain, but uh, I don't forget uh, Ghana country. Uh, Ghana country is special for me because my parents is here, my family is here, uh, my 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 blood is here. 
I don't forget uh, Ghana people and Ghana country. The news of Williams joining the Black Stars has stirred up a level of excitement amongst fans here. Many claim he is the saviour, but what does the man think of himself? When I listen to this, I, he's, he's very happy for me. Uh, I smile. This moment is coming. Uh, I'm going to work hard uh, 100% to put the, the flag in, in, in the sky. I'm, I'm going to, to do everything for, for Black Star and, and all, the, all the people is, is smile with, with me. There have been the naysayers though. The ones who simply believe the team that qualified Ghana should play there and are thereby against the influx of players in the diaspora into the national team. Can Inyaki Williams handle the pressure of playing for one of Africa's most demanding football fan bases? And the pressure is, is part of football. I know uh, uh, all, I have uh, 300 uh, games in, in Spain and uh, the pressure is, is good for me. I have pressure all the Sunday when I play in, in Bilbao and, and I'm enjoying the football. Uh, football is uh, kids play and I'm uh, enjoying all, all, the, all the Sunday. And me is going to Black Star, I'm going to, to enjoy, but because this uh, T-shirt is, is very important for, for me and for all my, my teammates. Represent all, all, all the people. All the people, uh, all the kids uh, have dream is uh, go to Black Stars. And uh, when I have the opportunity, I'm going to work hard to, to the children, uh, uh, see me in TV and say, wow, Iñaki Williams is playing Black Stars. The World Cup draw pitted Ghana in a group with Uruguay, South Korea and Portugal. It is one of the toughest groups at the tournament. Ghana's coach Otoado has said the team will go in there to try. Inyaki Williams agrees. I, I think uh, 11 versus 11. Uh, uh, football uh, uh, is a, a game uh, everything is, uh, is going to, to do. Uh, uh, it's a difficult, difficult group, uh, uh, but I'm going to... Uh, I think it's, it's, it's no, not easy, but uh, it's going to to do everything to qualify the next round. Inaki Williams may not ultimately be Ghana's solution to a lack of goals, a lack of trophies, and a drop from Africa's high table, but it certainly gives the fans something to smile about, at least for now. For the sunny side of sports, this is Yalfusulabi in Accra. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel. U.S. President Joe Biden makes his first visit to the Middle East as American head of state. There will be less emphasis on resolving the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and more focus on countering Iran, shoring up oil reserves, and strengthening ties between Israel and its new Arab allies. Brian Katulis and David Schenker analyze the outcome and impact of Joe Biden's trip to Israel, the West Bank, and Saudi Arabia. That's Encounter this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Thanks, Carol. South African police say a world championship boxing belt given by American fighter Sugar Ray Leonard to the country's first democratically elected president, Nelson Mandela, has been stolen. Vicky Stark reports from Cape Town, South Africa. Sugar Ray Leonard's World Boxing Council Championship belt, said to be worth close to $3,000, was a treasured possession of South African President Nelson Mandela. 
South African police announced Thursday the belt was taken during a July 1 break-in at Mandela's Soweto House Museum, where it was on display. Colonel Dimakatso Selo is a police spokeswoman. There are currently no suspects arrested and the police are investigating. Anyone who may have information about this incident is requested to contact the police. All information received will be treated as strictly confidential. No other items were reported missing from the museum. Mandela's private secretary of 20 years, Zalda Lachranje, says the American world champion boxer gave Mandela the belt during a visit to South Africa. I just know that it was very valuable to him. Whenever he could, he watched boxing, and, and because it was a sport in which he participated himself also, he, um, you know, he really admired people who aspired to the discipline of boxing. So he, he was a great fan of Sugar Ray Leonard and um, Sugar Ray, and he met on a few occasions, so I think it was very sentimental to him as well. Lekhranje was present on two of those occasions. She says they joked around a lot. Both of them uh, had a great sense of humor, but they talked about the big matches in the past, like Muhammad Ali and so on. Mandela himself, a former amateur boxer, wrote in his biography, Long Walk to Freedom, that he did not enjoy the violence of boxing so much as the science of it. Lekhranje, who's written a memoir called Good Morning, Mr. Mandela, has called on South Africa's government to better secure the museum in the township of Soweto in Johannesburg. It is disappointing, really. I mean, you, you can't think that someone would take something so personal of his, an, an icon in South Africa, someone steals his, his legacy. I'm disgusted by it. Madiba, as Mandela is affectionately known, was jailed for 27 years for opposing South Africa's oppressive apartheid government. Mandela first moved into the house in 1945, and his former wife, Winnie Madikizela Mandela, continued to live there until 1996. Mandela was released from prison in 1990 and died in 2013. His fellow Nobel Peace Prize winner, Archbishop Emeritus Desmond Tutu, who died last year, lived on the same street called Vilakazi, which today draws many tourists. Vicky Stark for VOA News, Cape Town, South Africa. Thanks, Vicky. More boxing news. Mexican star Saul Canelo Alvarez and Triple G. Gennady Golovkin of Kazakhstan will fight for a third time in September. As we hear now from our reigning prince of pugilistics, Namdi Hollywood Moeta. Sonny, the rubber match is set September 17th, T-Mobile Arena. This will be the third time these guys will fight. Canelo against Triple G. Remember the first fight... Uh, Canelo, uh, remember the first fight was a split draw, and a lot of people felt that Canelo got a good gift that uh, Triple G won. Second fight was a majority draw, which some people still felt Triple G won. But the interesting part about this is that uh, Canelo is no longer a middleweight. Canelo is what we call a super middleweight, 168 pounds, and he's the undisputed champion in that division. Triple G will move up uh, September 17th to fight Canelo. And mind you, these two guys, they really, they are big draws. If you look at the live gate for the first fight, that brought $28 million. The second fight brought $24 million. For this rematch, we are looking at to bring in more than $30 million because uh, Bivol, 
pulled a huge upset by beating Canelo. So lots of people believe that Triple G can finally get a victory over Canelo, but I don't think so. Canelo is still a bad man. Canelo is still a dangerous puncher. Don't look over Canelo because uh, Bivol, Dimitri Bivol from Russia upsets Canelo. So we're looking for a big fight, September 17. Look forward to being ringside for this fight. It's going to be lots of uh, fireworks, bombs dropping, guys, nobody back up, nobody retreat, mano a mano, toe to toe. That's what we're going to see September 17th. T-Mobile Arena, Las Vegas. Mono e mano, toe-to-toe. That's our reigning prince of pugilistics, Namdi Hollywood Moeta. This sunny side of sports programming note, I'm getting ready for a couple of weeks of summer vacation. Muck Bill Yabaro will be hosting the show, and I'll be back behind my trusty Voice of America microphone, on August 1st. And that wraps up the July 15th edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. I get it. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. 